0: You are listening to the Central Students Podcast. To learn more about Central Students, including our gathering times, visit us online at net slash students. We are doing a series called Hashtag Trending, okay? Hashtag Trending. Does anybody know what we talked about last week? Singleness. Yes, singleness. So, um, so we, some of you are like, how is that a trending topic? Uh, and you know what? You're probably right that singleness in and of itself probably is not necessarily what we would consider to be trending. However, something that is always trending in society is this idea of dating. Okay. And I felt it would be highly inappropriate to have a message about dating without first having a message about singleness. And, uh, if you were not here last week. Uh, I encourage you, like... Let me know. Uh, so typically, we have our sermons uh, put on uh, on podcast on Spotify, uh, but we did not have that last week. So um, I encourage you, like, to talk to me. Let me know so that I can get you, um, so that I can get you the notes. Because I feel like, uh, in order for us to talk about what we're talking about t- tonight, it's important for you to understand singleness, right? Because if you don't know how to be uh, a godly single, then you're never gonna know how to be able to have a godly dating relationship, right? So. We were talking about dating tonight, okay? Now, everything that we believe, this is, so, so, so just keep that in the back of your mind, okay? So what I'm going to talk about right now for a second is critically important for us to understand as we go, not only through this series, but especially when we're talking about certain topics, okay? So there is a doctrine, okay, in Christianity called the sufficiency of Scripture, okay? Let me explain to you what that means, Let me explain to you what the sufficiency of Scripture means. It means that the Bible, in and of itself, by itself, has everything that we need as Christians to live a life of faith and service to God. That you don't need anything in addition to it. This is one of the key doctrines and teachings of Christianity. To say that the Bible is sufficient is to say that the Bible is all we need to equip us for a life of faith and service. No other writings are necessary for this good news to be understood, nor are any other writings required to equip us for a life of faith. Does that make sense? Scripture is sufficient in all, sorry, Scripture is sufficient in that it is the only inspired, inerrant, and therefore final authority for Christians for faith and godliness, with all other authorities being subservient to Scripture. That's a quote from the Gospel Coalition. Okay, so all other authorities are subservient to the authority that is Scripture. So as Christians, we have one source of authority, and that is the Bible. It's the Bible. So everything we believe is founded in the Bible. Now, I've I've said this to you in the past, but if I was to go up to you and I was to ask you what you believe about a certain topic, let's say, if I was to ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, which I hope you do, if I was to say, you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you say, yes. I say, okay, give me a verse that tells me Jesus is the Son of God. That you know right now, without looking it up, do you know a verse that tells you that Jesus is the Son of God? And if you can't think of one, then why do you believe it? Now, I'm not necessarily saying, no, no, I'm telling you, like, first of all, it's all throughout the Bible, okay? What I'm trying to tell you is, I want you to take ownership of your faith. Because we have a lot of Christians that believe, that they're very good at reciting the things that they're told to believe. But we don't have necessarily a lot of Christians whose faith is their own. I want you to know that Scripture is sufficient and it is the final authority of all things. So the sufficiency of Scripture is something that has continually been challenged. Today especially, the the sufficiency and the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Bible. So when I say inerrant, that means that it is without error. When I say it's infallible, it means it's impossible to lead you to error when properly applied. Okay, And it is sufficient needs nothing else to be added to it. It's been attacked for centuries, though. In the Roman Catholic Church, there's a challenge of the sufficiency of Scripture by insisting that an infallible tradition of bishops and popes are needed in order to give a proper interpretation of the Scripture. In essence, elevating the pope or the bishop to having equal authority as the Bible itself and even needed in order for Scripture to be sufficient. That is not true. The Bible is sufficient in and of itself. Of course, there are authorities within the church. However, all authorities, including myself as a pastor, fall under the authority of Scripture. So what I mean by that is this. If I tell you something that does not line up with the Bible, do not believe it. Simple. Simple. If Pastor Allen tells you something that does not align with the Bible, do not believe it. If you hear anything that somebody tells you that goes against what Scripture clearly teaches, then you need to understand that that person either has made a serious mistake or they should not be teaching. Does that make sense? So So let's just see a few verses that kind of back this idea up. 2 Timothy 3. 16 and 17 says all scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Not just the New Testament, by the way. All scripture. Psalm 19 verses 7 through 14 says the law of the Lord is perfect. even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Second Peter one three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us his own glory and excellence. See, everything that we believe as Christians is founded in the Bible. Everything. Everything, okay? Everything that we believe must be shaped and formed based on what Scripture has to say on the topic. With this in mind, we have a lot of Christians that are solid on addressing issues that the Bible specifically talks about. Right? It's very easy for a Christian to say that homosexuality is a sin because the Bible is very clear on that. There's also the Bible is very clear on a lot of things, especially a lot of things we've talked about recently. The Bible clearly identifies them. So we have a lot of people who are very good at those topics. Right? We know what we should say about things that are explicitly written about in the Bible. However, there are a lot of things in society today that the Bible does not explicitly talk about. It does not explicitly talk about. For instance, one thing that the Bible does not specifically talk about is mental illness. All right. Now, we're going to talk about that next week. But like, there's not like a verse that I can t- tell you to go to that has a specific thing that talks about that. There's a lot of things in the Bible that don't have explicit things. They're not explicitly mentioned. So one of the challenges that faces many Christians today is exactly this. What do we do about things that the Bible does not explicitly talk about? What do we do to understand how do we get a biblical point of view and a biblical understanding of topics that the Bible does not specifically say? And This is where it is important for us to not simply be people that claim Christianity as a nominal religion, this is where it's important for us to be students of the word of God, to study the word of God, to know it inside and out, to know the heart of the writer of scripture being the, being the Holy Spirit. where so it's important for us to know what we're talking about. We must be students of God's Word. If we believe what Scripture says, that it is sufficient for all things, then we must believe that even if the Bible doesn't specifically talk about something, what we do have in Scripture is sufficient for the topic. Does that make sense? So if you have a question about something and you want to know what does the Bible have to say about it, if the Bible doesn't specifically talk about it, we, by faith and according to Scripture, believe that the Bible is sufficient to answer the questions. We're all on the same page. We're all tracking. Okay. Some of you are probably asking yourself, what in the world does that have to do with dating? That's a great question. Some of you are like, I have no idea what that has to do with dating. Probably super confused as to why I would even open with this. And the reason that I open with this is this. That dating is not something the Bible specifically talks about. You will not find a passage in the Bible that talks about this is how you should treat your boyfriend, or this is how you should treat your girlfriend, or this is how you should act while you are dating. The Bible does not state anything specific about that, and because of this, we have a lot of young people today that want to date well, but they don't know how. I'm sure maybe if you're in the room, maybe you have a boyfriend or you have a girlfriend or you want one one day or whatever, and you're like, I want to be able to do this well. I want to do this in a way that God has, has ordained. I want to do this in a way that God's called me to do this, but I don't see anything in the Bible that explicitly tells me how to do it, and that's a challenge, right? Makes things, it can make it kind of difficult. Or even worse, we have young people that want that, that uh, we have young people that they date with selfish motives and they justify their actions by saying that the Bible says nothing about it being wrong. When it comes to biblical understandings of dating, it can be incredibly difficult to allow it to be shaped by scripture rather than opinions. I'm sure that there are a lot of specifics within dating that I am not going to address tonight. There's probably a lot of specifics that I'm not going to address in this message. Do I have opinions on them? Absolutely I do. But when I stand up here to preach the word of God to you, it is not a time for me to tell you my opinions. It's my job to tell you what the word of God has to say. If you want to know my opinions, we'll talk later. Does that make sense? Cool beans. So, trust me, I have opinions on this if you want to know them, but I'm not going to tell you them right now. So, allow tonight to be a time that we hear from God's Word on the topic, but also allow this to be a case study for how we use Scripture to shape our understanding of concepts that the Bible does not specifically mention. All right, with that being said, whenever the Bible doesn't specifically address something, it's always good to ask this question, why? Why does the Bible not mention it? Right? Why does the Bible not mention this? So oftentimes there's things that are going on that uh, there's, there's things that the author, when, he's, when the author is writing, typically there's things that they are assuming that people understand. Right, so it may not specifically talk about it, but in you know, in the context, if you understand the context of the time, you understand that he's talking addressing specific things. I'll give you a perfect example. At the time, uh, especially when the scripture in the first century, there was a common heresy within the early Christian church of something called Gnosticism. Something called Gnosticism. And, the, uh, and Paul, in many of his epistles, in almost every single one of his letters, is addressing false teaching. He's addressing especially Gnosticism, and he does it in direct ways. But here's the thing. If you don't know what Gnosticism teaches, then you won't recognize when he's actually addressing it. So one of, the top, one of the teachings of Gnosticism is this, that if you, basically it's this idea of that all, thing all things that are spiritual are good and all things that are physical are bad. So grace is good. So the more you sin, the more grace you receive. Therefore, the more spiritual, spiritual you become, therefore, the, greater you, the better you are. Okay? That's, and it's a heresy. Don't believe it. It's not, bad. it's not good. Okay? So when Paul says in Romans, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. In that, he is directly addressing Gnosticism. But if you don't understand the context, then you don't notice it. Does that make sense? Okay, we're getting deep. All right, get your waiters, okay? All right, we're going on a ride here. Okay, so then there's other times that we need to understand, okay, why isn't this addressed in the Bible? I'm sure you're curious. Why isn't dating mentioned in the Bible? I mean, it seems like a pretty big deal, right? Why isn't dating mentioned in the Bible? Because dating, as we understand it today, did not exist at that time. Did not exist. In fact, the idea of two people being attracted to one another, nominally considering someone, their boyfriend or girlfriend, going on dates and being in this weird stage of half commitment, did not exist. It's a fairly new concept. Mid to late 1800s. It's a fairly new concept. For centuries, this was how the concept of marriage and relationships would work, okay? Now, let's be clear. I'm not telling you that this is the way it should be. I'm telling you this is the way that it was, all right? Unlike romantic weddings of today, marriage in ancient Rome, in, uh, in particular, was an arrangement between two families, Like much of Roman society, it was highly structured but also extremely logical. Marriage in Roman times was often not at all romantic. Rather, it was an agreement between families. Men would usually marry in their mid-20s, while women married while they were still in their early teens. Part of this is because in their mid-20s, a man is actually able to take care of a family at this point. As they reached these ages, their parents would consult with friends and and other people in the community to find suitable partners for their child that could improve the family's wealth or status. That is how marriages worked. Now, I'm not saying that this is how it should work. I'm not saying that God designed it that way. I'm saying that is why dating is not mentioned in the Bible. Simply explaining what the process looked like back then. So from this point, the idea started to evolve into an idea of courtship. So how do I get the family to agree that I can take care of their child? So what I do is I now start to court the woman, right? I start to court her publicly. So what it is, it's these public displays of typically wealth or status. So if you know uh, the movie Aladdin, Right? It's like Prince Ali, da, 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 right? What is he doing? He's courting Jasmine, right? He's going in and he's showing, look at all the money I got. Look at all these, you know, uh, all these things that I could do. Look how well I could take care of your daughter, right? So he's courting her publicly. And then from here, so that's what he's doing. And that is something that, that really was going on through most of history. It was, a, it was a flex, basically. He was flexing, okay? And oftentimes this was, this was done, you know, all the time. So then courtship was always done with the end goal of marriage. No one courted just for the fact of dating. It was always this idea of I'm doing this to show that I can be a suitable husband. Okay? It was always done with the idea and the end goal of dating. Now I have a point, uh, sorry, of marriage. I have a point, so hang with me. Okay? I have a point, so hang with me. And courtship was always done with direct oversight of the parents. This began to change drastically in the late 18th century where marriage began to shift from being a family matter of commitment and alliance to now a private matter of romance and affection. This then began to manifest itself in rejection of parent involvement and the dependence on emotions and feelings. Now it started to be, I want to marry whoever I want. So what they did, then the courtship process started to become private. And with that, you started to get into this idea of now this dating that we would know today as it continues to evolve. Again, this is all to show you that the reason that dating is not mentioned in Scripture is because it did not exist. That's what I'm trying to get to. Okay, so let's just, so hang with me. All right, so some of you are probably thinking to yourself, great, this is a waste of time. Okay, I didn't come for a history class. But... Sorry, okay. (laughs) But it's not a waste of time because while God did not create dating, he did create relationships and the Bible has plenty to say on the topic of relationships. Relationships between friends, spouses, parents, kids, within the church, outside of the church, and so on. God has a lot to say when it comes to relationships. So then we need to see what is the godly purpose of dating? Because here's what you need to know is that dating, and please, like, Beat this into your brain, okay? Dating in a godly way is meant to prepare you for marriage. That is the only reason. It's meant to prepare you for marriage. This desire for a romantic relationship is not bad, and that's something I want you to understand. We talked about this last week when we talked about singleness. It is not bad to desire a relationship. It's not bad to want a girlfriend. It's not bad to want a boyfriend. It's not bad to want a wife or bad to want a husband, Why? Because God made us as relational beings. God is the one who created marriage. He did this before the fall. So marriage is not a result of brokenness. Marriage is actually God's design. Now, for some people, we talked about this last week, some people, God's will is for you to pursue him without the commitments of marriage. And that is a blessing to be able to fulfill that commitment to God. But God's design for marriage, God's design for for relationships and marriage, it leaves us with a desire to be able to pursue that. So I want you to understand it's not sinful to want these things. However, this is the problem that I have seen. A lot of young people, not just young people, a lot of people in general don't want relationships, they want romance. And there is a difference. A lot of people don't want relationships. They want romance. Because if all they wanted was relationships, they'd be content with the friendships that they have. But they want something more. They want something that their friends can't give them. And oftentimes it's physical. But we'll get to that later. Right? They want romance, not necessarily relationships. With this in mind, rather than looking for someone that meets the qualifications of a godly spouse, they look for someone that meets the qualifications of a romantic partner. So instead of looking for somebody that loves the Lord above all things and somebody that is what the Bible would declare as a godly man or a godly woman, what they do is they look for somebody that makes them feel nice or they look for somebody that is, you know, that is sweet or somebody that looks good. Here's the thing. Those are all good things, but those are never things that should be elevated above what Scripture clearly says should be the goal of a godly man or woman. should not be. And as soon as we elevate these other things above those things, then we have lost sight of what God's design for relationships are. Scripture is clear that it is a good thing to look for a spouse. Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 31.10, an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. With that being said, girls, if he doesn't treat you as precious as jewels... Bump that dude, okay? To the side. Guys, if you find a godly girl, obviously I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say when you're older, right? treat her as precious as jewels. See, Scripture is clear that unless God has specifically called you to singleness, it is okay to look for a spouse. For a Christian, this is the goal of dating as we know it today. Let me ask you a question. What biblical reason for dating can you give me other than the one that I just gave you? What scripture tells you that it's perfectly okay to pursue romance without the intention of marriage? Tell me. There is none. There is none. Now, I know I'm probably not making a lot of you happy. That's okay. After this, we'll go to Chick-fil-A, get a milkshake. You could tell me how much you don't like me, and I'll ge- and, and and I'll smile and tell you, "Hey, Jesus loves you. I love you." Uh, and hopefully next week, you'll calm down and you won't be mad at me anymore. Okay. See, what other reason could you give? I mean, what are, uh, seeking to be fulfilled? Scripture does not teach that you are fulfilled by anybody other than Christ. You want to? You don't want to be alone. That's what the church is for. You want to have an intimate relationship with another person that goes beyond that of a godly friendship? Great. That's where marriage comes into the picture. The Bible has answers for every single reason that you would want to date. as every reason. So here's what you need to understand, and I'm going to tell you this. Please, understand what I'm about to tell you. Stop looking, if you're a girl, stop looking for a boyfriend and start looking for a husband. If you're a if you're a boy, stop looking for a girlfriend and start looking for a wife. And here's the thing, if you're not ready to get married, then stop looking. If you're not ready to get married, then stop looking, because that's the point. And what we have today is a bunch of boys who can shave, who like to act like they got this whole life thing figured out. And they don't. I didn't when I was in high school. Stop looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend and start looking for a husband or a wife. I'm not saying go hunt. Okay? it's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, like, get in a deer stand in Walmart. (laughs) Like this. Right? And you're like, husband, 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 husband. Or like, like. Wife, 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 right? Like, we don't need that. I'm not saying go hunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important to understand, right? Some of you you are up there with like a scope, like, you're like, that's the one. That's the one. Okay. What I'm saying is this, okay? Here's what I'm saying. Set high standards for who you yoke yourself to. Set high standards for who you yoke yourself to. If that person does not have the potential of being a godly husband, then they sure as heck don't have the potential to be a godly boyfriend. Maybe you're thinking this. Well, I don't want to look for marriage just yet. Then I will tell you this. Then don't date anybody. Simple. Because if you're simply looking to satisfy a desire, then the chances are you're seeking things in a selfish and sinful way. I'm just coming from experience. Coming from experience. When I was in high school, all my friends had girlfriends. And I was like, yo, like, I got, I, I'm, I'm slipping, son. Like, like what's going on? You know? and, and what happened was my desire was I didn't want to be left out. I didn't want to be felt like I was being rejected. I, wanted, like, I needed something to validate who I thought I needed to be. When Christ does that, Whoever seeks to be fulfilled by anyone other than Christ will never be fulfilled. Christ is sufficient. Christ is sufficient. So what are some common mistakes with Christian dating? This is going to be fun. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. What are some common mistakes when it comes to Christian dating? Let me tell you that there are a lot of mistakes that Christians make when it comes to dating because the Bible does not explicitly address the topic, right? So a lot of these mistakes are not like they're intentionally going out and doing something stupid. Sometimes they are, and you just want right? But, uh, but for the most part, a lot of times it's, okay, I just don't know, and I'm trying to do things the right way. And here's what I'm going to talk about are not necessarily the excuse me, oh my goodness, uh, right? Um, what, I'm, what I'm about to tell you is not necessarily things that, uh, that you automatically think of, of mistakes that people make when they're dating. So because the Bible doesn't explicitly address dating relationships, they will go to the next best thing in their mind, which is marriage. And they will apply those concepts to their dating relationships. So mistake number one is applying marriage commands to dating relationships. Let me explain. Marriage, sorry, dating is designed to prepare you for marriage. Dating is not marriage. Dating is not marriage. We hit on on this last week. The priorities of a married man or a married woman are different than the priorities of a man or woman that is not married. Genesis two twenty four. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What do you see in this verse? You see a relationship between a husband and a wife is a relationship in which the two become one flesh. They are inseparable. They forsake all others to cleave to one another and to Christ. The husband looks after the needs of his wife as he would look after his own life and his own body and the wife does likewise. They submitting to one another as to the Lord. Husbands sacrificially loving their wives and their wives respectfully submitting to the godly leadership of their husband. Ephesians 5. Notice that these are commands that are given to people who are married. Girls, you are not obligated to your boyfriend as you would be to your husband. Boys, you are not obligated to your girlfriend as you would be to your wife. Let me give you an example. If, you, if I was married and I felt like the Lord was calling me to go overseas and serve in missions, and I just went for it, and I did not consult my wife, I just went, that would be incredibly irresponsible of me. And I would be sinning because I would be going against God's design for what God has called me to be as a husband. Because here's the thing. If God's calling me to go overseas in missions and we are one flesh and we are married, chances are he's calling her too. Now, let me go on. Let me give you the same example, different situation. Okay? Let's say that I am not married and Kayla is my girlfriend and the Lord has called me to overseas missions. Whether he has called her or not, I go. I go. Why? Because she, my, I, am, I am not obligated to her as I would be to her if she was my wife. And what we have is we have boyfriends and girlfriends who feel this obligation to one another as if they are married to one another, and they are not. According to Jesus and the IRS, you are single. Okay? Just is what it is. It is what it is. Okay? So here's the thing. Stop acting like you're married. Stop acting like you're married. While well-meaning, if these commands are applied outside of the marriage relationship, it can lead to hurt and brokenness. Don't apply marriage commands to dating relationships. Second mistake is assuming marriage privileges to dating relationships. So you have applying marriage commands, and then you have assuming marriage privileges. Now, I know this is probably something that is not going to be extremely popular to say, but Scripture is clear. There are certain things physically that are reserved for marriage. Again, as we have discussed a few weeks ago, sex is a good gift that God has designed. However, part of this design is that it is to be kept within the bounds of marriage. Every reference to sexual activity as a gift or in a positive way in the Bible is always within the context of marriage. Always. 1 Corinthians 7.9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, this is not saying that marriage is an excuse for for you to get over your lust. Because notice, if they can't exercise self-control, let's let's go through the, the, the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, when I say the, oh, sorry, the fruit of the Spirit. Let's go through the fruit of the Spirit, okay? When I say fruit of the Spirit, what the Bible teaches is these are the fruits, this is the evidence that someone has the Holy Spirit living within them. Therefore, this is the evidence that someone is a Christian. Okay, let's go. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Ooh, So, if I can't exercise self-control and I have to force myself to get married, maybe there's other things you should be evaluating whether or not you're married. Maybe you should be evaluating whether your relationship with Jesus is intact. So don't think, oh, well, that's okay. I'll just use this as a reason to not have to deal with my lust. Look, you might have bigger problems, home slice. You might have bigger problems. I've heard this many, many, many times. Well, we're going to get married one day anyway. So we're okay to act this way. Look, if we're going to get married, then we can act this way. If we're going to get married anyway, then we are are fully able to do this. We're simply expressing the love that we have to one another. If that was true, then why would Paul say what he just said in 1 Corinthians 7? If that was true, why would he say that? See, look, if you're so eager to act like a married couple, then stop playing games and get married. If you're so eager to pretend like you're married, get married. Because here's the thing. You can be arrested for impersonating a doctor. You can be arrested for impersonating a police officer. And there's a lot of people that probably should be arrested for impersonating married couples. not saying you should legally get arrested, I'm just, I'm using hyperbole, okay? Now, there are more discussions that dive further into how far is too far and such, and you know, I'm not going to dive into that tonight. Uh, if you want to talk to me about that later, you can, uh, but however, I will say this, physical expressions of romantic and passionate affection are reserved for marriage, Solomon 8.4, I adjure you, O daughters of, uh, sorry, Song of Solomon 8.4, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Third mistake that I see a lot of times in Christian dating is not guarding your heart. I see it all the time. In a desire to be fully accepted and fully quote-unquote loved, boys and girls will often emotionally marry themselves to an individual long before they ever legally marry themselves to an individual. So here's what I mean. Legally, they're not married, but emotionally, they are. That's a dangerous place to be. That's an incredibly dangerous place to be. They have emotionally opened themselves up to a person to the point to where they have, they have committed themselves to another individual as, on would, uh, sorry, as one would commit to a spouse. It's incredibly dangerous. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Don't just give your heart to anybody. See, none of you in this room have ever been married as far as students hope. None of you have ever been married, but I'm willing to bet that you have experienced emotional divorce before. While none of you have maybe ever been legally divorced, I bet a lot of you emotionally have. Now, I'm not saying that you should build walls and push other people away and, and like make it extremely difficult for people to get to know you because Scripture is clear that we should not do that. James 5 encourages us to confess our sins to one another. Scripture teaches that we should be honest and vulnerable and open with one another. However, you can do this without emotionally vowing yourself to someone that you barely know. We see it all the time. I know I see it all the time. And you know what? You know what I'm talking about. Two people that barely know each other—they've been dating for two weeks—and they're saying, "I love you." I love you. Right? Dating for two weeks. I love you. I love you. Or like three days. I love you. Like, do you even know their middle name? Like, like, how do you love this person? Right? Because here's what I understand. Here's what we need to understand. A lot of people confuse infatuation with love. They are not the same thing. You can be infatuated with somebody, and then five minutes later, it wears off. And I've talked about this before, right? Scripture, is to, when it talks about love, there's different kinds of love, especially in, when it talks in the Greek, right? You have agape, which is a God-like love. Agape love is a, is a, is a willful commitment. It is a, lo- it is a choice. Then you have eros, which is, or erotic love, which this is a passionate, emotional love. And that is a love that we're actually told we need to be Very, 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 very careful of, but that's the one that we actually measure how much you love somebody by, which is not healthy. Last thing. Mistakes that often are seen in dating relationships, especially for Christians, is dating a non-Christian. Yo, I talk about this all the time. talk about this all the time. And eventually, eventually, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. If the point of dating is to marry, Scripture is clear. Do not yoke yourself to an unbeliever. And the point of marriage is to reflect the gospel. To reflect the love of Christ and his church and the church with Christ. And to glorify the Lord and to point others to him through your relationship. You cannot do that with someone who's not a Christian. You can't. Now, I'm not saying this so that I can restrict you and make it to where it's like, oh, I'm saying this because I'm trying to spare you from hurt. I'm trying to spare you from hurt. See, every relationship you have is for your good and God's glory. It doesn't matter what kind of relationship it is. The focus of your friendships is that you glorify God. The focus of your marriage is that you glorify God. The way that you act towards your parents should be done in a way that glorifies God. With this in mind, dating should be the same way. So I'm not going to get into any more specifics. I'm not. You want to know how you could be in a godly dating relationship? Be in a godly relationship with Christ. Pursue him more than you ever pursue someone else. I'm going to give you an example pull this bad boy out for a reason, all right? I've given this example before. Okay. See that triangle? Okay. Over here, you got him. Everybody say hi him. Hi. Over here, you got her. Everybody say hi her. Hi. That's a weird r, but whatever. Okay? Up here, you have god. Okay? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, sorry. All right. Here's here's what I want to encourage you with this, okay? Your focus as a non-married person is not to run to him or to run to her. Don't worry about that. That's not your focus. Here's your focus. You run to God. You run to God because he will provide everything that he, that 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 they won't see him may love her but him can't love her the way that God loves her her may may cherish him and sacrifice for him but she will never be able to sacrifice what God already has sacrificed and that is sending his son for you because here's also what I've learned. If you pursue God, or if he pursues God and she pursues God, look what happens. is the close, The more they pursue God, the closer they get to one another. You want to find that godly relationship that God has for you? Pursue God and you'll run into him. This is something that Kayla and I in our marriage do all the time. We have to remind ourselves, you know what? It's about pursuing the Lord, but we pursue the Lord together. My job as a husband, if she is difficult, if she's down, if she's struggling, you know what my job as a husband is? Is to point her to Jesus because I can't give her what she needs. Here's the thing, guys. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then it doesn't matter what your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend looks like. You need a relationship with Jesus. Because here's the thing. Whoever that person is that that you end up dating, if you're dating currently, here's what you need to understand. You're both sinners. And there is no such thing as a perfect relationship. Because it's two sinful people. What you need is you need a loving God to give you the grace and the love that you need to love each other well and to pursue him together. So I think that's all I've got to say on that. Um, If you want to ask more specific questions, please do. Thank you again for listening to the Central Students Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net slash students.